Patriarchy is a podcast of our experiences living under a social system that no longer serves us as Hmong Americans. Hi, I'm Jim. And hi, I'm Sai. So Jim and I are husband and wife. Often, when we introduce or identify ourselves as husband and wife, Jim is seen as superior and I'm seen as inferior in our marriage. So this podcast was inspired by the both of us watching Beef, an Asian American drama on Netflix, correct? Yes, that's true. So I think the show has like 10 episodes and over the course of 10 episodes, I witness all the Asian male characters in the movie make the same decisions over and over and over again. And that just started to frustrate the heck out of me. <laughs> and the framework by which they are making those choices are the narrow framework of patriarchy that sort of frames what a man should be and what a man should do. Yes, so that frustration you felt with all the men and beef is the reason why we're here, right? I know that you and I have had a lengthy discussion already around the show. So in this podcast, let's dive deeper into what patriarchy is, particularly how patriarchy impacts you as among men. Yeah, so I grew up in America. I was first in my family to be born here, and I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and when I reflect back during those times growing up, um, I think patriarchy really started in the home for me, and particularly with my father. Uh, the bulk of my father's work was outside the home, right? That's what he was recognized and rewarded for. You know, he was an ambassador, ambassador of his social capital, you know. By that point, my father had served for like 17 years as an officer in the, the Royal Lao Army, Back in Laos, he had accumulated a certain level of credibility, influence, you know, and that's what he was known for. And when he went about in our home community, um, that was his work. Um, this was further, you know, growing up, this was further legitimized by seeing my brothers take up the same work as they grew into manhood. And further legitimized by seeing my uncles doing similar work in their families. So rather than my father teaching me skills from novice to mastery, right? Instead, what he did with me was he focused on mapping out the whole of his social capital. You know, my, my destiny to inherit it and the need to maintain it. So Jim, I sort of want to stop you right there because what I'm hearing from you is that patriarchy was well-established in your family way before you were born. So can you tell me at what point that changed and how that changed for you? So when my father had a stroke, and as I said before, my father's, the bulk of my father's work was outside the home. Right? He had to go um, maintain his social capital and grow it, and that's how he did it, right? But now that he is ill, and no longer able to do that, he couldn't do that work anymore, right? So while we were okay with what he had accumulated up to that point, he could not get any more social capital. And when he had a stroke, we were still okay because he was still a part of our family and he was still well-respected. Um, but it became clear to me over time that um, as we had family gatherings and for whatever reason my father could not attend, uh, over time we were seen as a less-than family. 
right? Like we couldn't go out and do all these things any longer. So uh, that's how we reviewed in the time that my father had a stroke. Jim, I know that having an ill father is very difficult for a family. Fathers are pillars, right? They hold a family together. I know that once your father had the stroke, it was not long after that he passed. How did his death impact you as the son of his second wife? I can explain that. So I was the son of the second wife, and this was different from my brother, who was 19 years older than I was, who was the son of the first wife. So my brother had far more time and opportunity to um, benefit from my father's social capital as a son, right? So by the time my father died, my brother was like in his early 30s. Mm -hmm. He was already married. And to a certain extent, he was already established, right? In this uh, home male patriarchal system. So he was kind of like stable. Let me put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I was not stable. I was 14 years old. And that's how old I was when my father died. Too young to inherit anything or utilize, you know, my inheritance to any measurable extent. Uh, Soon after, my mom remarried into another husband's family because of partly because of some of those reasons, right? She could not wait for me to be, I don't know, however old I needed to be to get to the place where my older brother was, a yeah. place of stable, stabilization, right? So my mother uh, married a new husband and I was left without a father and now without a mother. So that's how this system of patriarchy impacted me. So with patriarchy... Well-established and deeply rooted in your family, how did that impact you when your mother left the family? Can you say more about that? Yeah, so what I'll say, Sai, is that I'm still working to disabuse myself of patriarchy, even up to this point at 42 years old. Um, Way back then, when I was 14, after my father died, um, I could not articulate what was going on in my life, but I knew that I had to question Mm -hmm. what was happening because everything that I was taught was not coming to fruition. You know, that was my first uh, brave steps of trying to disabuse myself of patriarchy back then, right? Mm -hmm. And I linked it to where my father died, right? And as I grew older, I began to realize that, you know, patriarchy, like any social system, must have certain uh, conditions for it to exist. Otherwise, it could not survive, right? And for me, those those systems were breaking down for me, mm-hmm. right? That's why patriarchy was no longer working, right? Without that system and now exposed, you know, I began to see all the, uh, all the parts of patriarchy that just wasn't working, right? Growing up, I thought that it was... It was it. It was awesome. You know, I didn't know any better, but in the aftermath of my father dying, I began to realize how, how it did not set me up for the greatest success that I could have had. Right. So some of the questions that I asked myself was what was really my role as a son? You know, was love ever a component of that? (laughs) I don't think it was, you know, and this is the, this is what a patriarchy does for you. Right. So my mom was able to do to me what she did because I ceased functioning 
as that asset that could inherit my father's social capital. Mm -hmm. That's the primary rationalization for her to be able to do what she did to me. Because I was an asset and with social capital that no longer ceased to function for her, ceased, ceased to be necessary, I, I came to understand that my mom actually disowned me. And through that lens, that's, that's one of the things that I came to understand about my mom. And that made me realize that maybe well, I wasn't ever her son. I was simply just an anchor of inheritance, you know, a cash cow ready, ready to be cashed in. And when I ceased functioning that way, I was no longer necessary. And this was really hard for me to arrive at with my mother. I've heard the story of your father dying and your mother leaving you many times before, right? And each time you tell it, it still tears me up. Your story is a hard story to swallow because even as an adult, I still find it hard to navigate this world without parents. And I imagine that must have been devastating as a child. As I listen this time around, I'm understanding that patriarchy impacts us differently in various ways. I think for me, as a daughter, Right? And the social system of patriarchy was to ensure that I was a respectful daughter to my father and a caring sister to my brothers. Being respectful and caring is my contribution. It's how I can elevate the social capital. That's what you call it, right? Social capital. Right. But I like to think because of who my father was, right? Those expectations to be respectful and caring were not as strict, right? This meant that I didn't have a curfew, right? I can come and go as I liked, you know? Um, and not only that, but there was no timeline for me to get married. And I think my father was less influenced by the social system of patriarchy because my father didn't have many brothers or extended families here in the U.S. They were all left behind in Laos after the war. So here he is in America, lacking kinship, right? My father made oaths to other men who were also lacking kinship. And together they formed this brotherhood that, was, that became their clan. Belonging and being a part of something that was familiar to them in Laos was necessary. This was something that was very important for my father. And although he was able to create a brotherhood and a clan, he still struggled. I think one of the reasons why he still struggled is because when he and his uh, created brotherhood came together, they didn't exist in a vacuum. They existed in a, a systemic form of patriarchy and their capital that they created is measured against the capital of others and so forth and I think that's that's what became a struggle yeah yeah you know my father had eight daughters and only three sons and this was seen as a stigma 
in the social structure of patriarchy, right? Right. You know, and this, this having eight daughters and only three sons really forced my father to work harder to contribute, right? So throughout the 90s, my father was hardly home because he was gone all the time, negotiating weddings, managing funerals, lecturing other people's children, right? While um, we, his own children, was at home wondering when he was going to come back. There were always tanning or kite, right? These rituals and ceremonial practices that he was overseeing. So by the late 90s, my father's effort right, his time and effort, was able to gain him the confidence of the brotherhood. And he was elevated to be one of the clan leaders. But that was short-lived. That didn't last long because my father got sick. And once he got sick, he could no longer contribute in the way that he did before. He had to come home, right? The expectations were for my brothers to take over my father's work. But for whatever reason, they couldn't step in to fill in my father's shoes. So I want to point out some observations about your father that Mm -hmm. I witnessed. Because I married you towards the back end of your father's life. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, He had nasal pharynx cancer going through treatment, could not work full-time the way he did before, could not go out in the community as frequently as he did before, even though he still did a little bit of that. Um, so what I actually witnessed your father doing, and this is something that I recognize, right? Because by that point, I was already working to disabuse myself of patriarchy to an extent, and I mm-hmm. witnessed your father the back end of his life, Right. Your father, um, what I witnessed your father do was come to some sort of, I don't want to, this is, he he came to some sort of peace, some sort of reckoning with his role in how patriarchy influenced him, right? Your father was not the favorite son of his father. No, he wasn't. Uh, His brother got all the attention for different reasons. One, his older brother served in the military too. His older brother had um, a whole bunch of sons, right? Yep. And uh, three, your older brother's just older. His his older brother <laughs> his, was older. His, his older brother's just older, so he just like uh, he inherited all the social capital from your grandfather, right? So your the father, the father-in-law I know had a chip on his shoulder, mm-hmm. right? And during the time that I lived with him, married to you, he slowly abused, disabused himself of that chip. He did. And he, at the end of his life, he came to some kind of peace. Right? And as a Hmong man myself, living in this world of patriarchy, to me, that's um, that gives me a lot of hope. That's just something that I wanted to say about your father. Well, thank you for stating that and sharing your observation about my father. You know, I, I really appreciate that. And um, 
from the time my father was diagnosed with nasal pharynx cancer to the time that he died, that was about 10 years. It took him really 10 years to go through this process of coming to terms with the life that he led. And not all of it was pretty. No. There were some, there were some um, patches in there where it was dark, but we, we watched your father um, go through that, mm-hmm. you know, and where he was at the end. You know, I've seen other people go the other way <laughs> at the end of their life. But that's not the way your father went. I think he was at some sort of peace and understanding with the life he lived. Yes, absolutely. So I think the... Um, the, one of the illusions of patriarchy is that you can continue to get more, inherit more, and pass down more, right? Um, but there's nothing in patriarchy about just laying things to rest and bringing things to an end, right? And... When I say I'm 42 and there's still a lot of work to do, I think that's the things, that's the type of work that I have to look forward to. Yeah. Right? That I don't want to drop dead doing this the way my father did. Right? Drop dead trying to pedal patriarchy. That there, there is a way to wind it down off ramp and, and end things peacefully as inspired by your father. I think earlier in the show, I mentioned that beef inspired this podcast, (laughs) right? You know, I experienced patriarchy as a very narrow system of what a man should be and what a man should do. Right. And when I mean narrow, that's putting it very gently, (laughs) you know, arbitrarily. um, If there were 500 men, right? At most, maybe five qualify for, for patriarchy. And the reason, the reason is because the criteria is this, right? Typically you have to have some level of social capital. You have to be one of the eldest born in your family out of the first or the second son. You have to be heterosexual, (laughs) right? Um, have to have a certain level of um, social economic. Have to be from a good family. I mean, after all that, who really qualifies, right? Among us men, who really qualifies for all that? Some of us, most of us, are eliminated at birth. I think about my sons. They're diagnosed with autism. If I were to peddle this patriarchy system, they wouldn't even fit in there. You know, they in that system, they would only serve to elevate um, the men who are more likely to fulfill the destiny of patriarchy. Right. I cannot support that. And if we're lucky, if we're lucky. One of those five who actually meet the criteria of patriarchy, patriarchy will be competent <laughs> just because you meet all these criteria doesn't mean that you're competent. You're actually you know, you're actually any good. You know, so, so, so what are we talking about here? Again, this is just all, all arbitrary numbers and stuff that I'm thinking, thinking about my brain. 
I don't have the data to support this, <laughs> right? But across generations, you know, which stretches 70 years, we may have three people, three men, who actually elevate themselves to legitimize that this system is even, this system even works uh, across generations from Laos all the way to here, like span it from 1940s to 2050, right? 2050, right? Yeah. You might have like five people who even qualify, one, whoever meet the expectations, this this unrealistic expectation, right? Unrealistic that who who one person who will ever meet that. So that's that's what I mean that it comes at devastating cost, right? That we men are told that yeah, it's possible, you can do it, you can get it, just because you were born a, a man, right? But as we live, we begin to find out that that's less and less likely, right? Mm-hmm. So Jim, I think we're coming to a close here. Is there anything else that you would like to share? about patriarchy it's not enough that i name patriarchy as a problem and go into how bad it is i also have to provide an alternative and this is where i go back to the show beef particularly the last episode where the primary character david utilized empathy to recognize how the choices he were making was causing himself to harm others i want to provide an example from my lived experiences so to to this day even though my father has died I still have a relationship with him. It's a relationship through empathy. For example, he served in the military. I served in in the military. In that way, I'm able to empathize with him on that level. He spent the bulk of his life concentrating on advancing his social capital outside the home. And to a certain extent, the role that I'm currently in, a public office, I have to do the same. And in that way, I'm able to empathize with him. Through empathy, I'm able to recognize where patriarchy has most influenced the choices he made so that when I'm positioned to make a choice of similar consequence, I make that choice that slowly weans me off the grips of patriarchy. Over time, these series of choices become common practice. And as a result, I cease transforming from a a caricature of myself had I remained in the framework of patriarchy to the culmination of my lived experiences that represent the time spent on this earth. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, your ideas, and especially thank you for sharing your lived experiences with us. I know that some of those moments were very tough to share, and I appreciate you being reflective and articulated with your narratives. So thank you. Yeah, and thank you as well, Sai, for listening to me in this long podcast about patriarchy. Patriarchy was written and produced by Sai Tao and Jim Vu and recorded at In Progress, a nonprofit's arts group housed in the North End neighborhood of St. Paul as part of Sound Stories. Mm-hmm.